Some years ago, uh, my husband and I had the difficult job of clearing out his family home, his parents' home, after his dad died. I'm sure many of you have been in the same situation and had to do that. Um, it comes to us all at some point. Um, it was doubly difficult because Pete's parents never threw anything away. <laughs> We found stuff belonging to them, but stuff belonging to their parents as well and other relatives, and it was quite a job. In amongst everything, we found a whole load, about 60 glass slides belonging to Pete's grandfather. He was quite a keen photographer, and he was doing photography when not many ordinary people had cameras. I don't know what on earth he would have made of today's society with the mobile phones that you just snap a photo and that's it. But back in those days, the negatives were produced on glass slides like this. Now, I'd never seen anything like this before when we first uncovered them, and we were quite intrigued. And as I say, there were about 60 of them. Well, we brought them home, because Peter's the same. He doesn't throw anything away either. <clears throat> and they sat in a drawer for quite a long time. Uh, and suddenly, when we were looking for something else just recently, we came across these glass slides again. And we started looking at them, and Peter said, I've got an idea. He put the glass slide against a background, took a photo of it with his mobile phone, <laughs> emailed it to me on my laptop, and we got it up on the laptop screen. And this is what we saw. <clears throat> hope this is going to work. There you go. Can you just about see that? And we thought, oh, look at that. Wow, the man reclining at the back there, that must be Grandad. And the lady looking as if she's in black, that, that she looks like she's knitting. That must be Grandmother. Uh, who are these other people? <clears throat> They're possibly Grandad's sisters that are there. But we didn't really know who they were. So we got a program up like you can do very cleverly on the internet uh, that you can put photos into and you can sharpen it or lighten it or make it darker or do all sorts of things in it. And we got this photo up and we went down the list of all the things that you could do and we saw, ah, negative. So we clicked on negative and wow. It was such a wow moment for us because we saw that we had been completely wrong. We looked and we said, that's not Grandad lying there. And we looked a bit more, no, that's great Grandad. This photo is a lot earlier than we thought it was. The lady knitting, we think is great grandmother. And the one right over, that's Grandad right over there in the corner. And these must be his brothers and sisters, but he had three sisters. There's only two of them. Well, of course, the third sister was taking the photo, wasn't she? And we suddenly saw these people for who they really were. One more step. We looked at this one in the front. And we were just overwhelmed because we realised that this was Uncle Arthur. Now, we knew the story about Uncle Arthur. He went off, he was called up in the First World War, and he fought in the war. And at the end of the war, he was killed in action on the day after the war ended. Like so many thousands of others, the news of the armistice didn't 
travel quickly enough around to all the places and he died needlessly the day after the end of the war. And we knew all of that story and suddenly here he was smiling at us from this photo, Uncle Arthur, and we were just overwhelmed. That moment when that picture flipped on the screen from the negative to the positive was such a wow moment for us. And we've done it with a number of these glass slides and seen members of of Pete's family. That is exactly what Paul is doing in his letter to the Ephesians. He's flipping the picture from the negative to the positive. And it is just amazing. I want to just look back at a little bit of the background. Now, I'm conscious of the fact that I might be repeating what Kate has already been through with you. Forgive me for that, but in order to make sense of today's passage, we need to just remind ourselves of the background. If you look back into the Acts of the Apostles, chapters 18 and 19, it tells us that there were a few Gentiles in Ephesus who had become Christians. Paul came along to Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila, found these Christians there, and he left Priscilla and Aquila with them. Paul went off somewhere else. Then along came Apollos, a Jew, a Jewish Christian, and uh, he was a very eloquent man, very well versed in the scriptures, and he started teaching these Ephesian Christians. But he could only teach them what he knew. And all he knew was the baptism of John the Baptist, the baptism of repentance and forgiveness, and nothing any further than that after that baptism of John the Baptist. So Priscilla and Aquila took him aside, started to fill in the gap, started teaching him more about Jesus, and he then left there and went off somewhere else and preached with great effect. He was a very good preacher. Paul came along to the Ephesians and found, he talked with them and he said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they said, what? Uh, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. How they didn't know that with Priscilla and Aquila there with them, I don't know. But Paul taught them about it, he preached to them, he laid hands on them and they did receive the Holy Spirit. Paul stayed with them for two years after that, teaching them, preaching, encouraging them. Uh, And then, because of all the things that were going on in Ephesus, his life was in danger, and he had to leave them, and he had to go. He did send young Timothy to be the leader of the church there at Ephesus. And he wrote two letters to Timothy, encouraging him in his ministry, as well as the letter that we have here to the Ephesians that Paul wrote directly to the church. This church in Ephesus should have been the best church there was, shouldn't it? They had been taught and blessed and encouraged by la creme de la creme. And it's just so sad to read in Revelation what the Spirit says to the churches and said particularly to the church at Ephesus. Yes, I know you've been loyal, you've been faithful, you've been very patient, you've endured, but I have this against you. You lost your first love. You lost the wow moment when you received Jesus and received the Holy Spirit into your life. You need to repent and return to that first love. It seems that the Ephesians had a mindset that they could not shake off. 
when Paul wrote this letter to them, it's clear from the way that he writes his letter that he was still having to correct wrong thinking and wrong behavior. They seemed to be stuck in this groove of feeling that they had to earn their way to heaven, earn the brownie points, earn God's love. And Paul was saying to them, no, 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 this is not all there is, there is more. Let me tell you again what Jesus has really done for you. And he sets about flipping the picture from negative to positive. Through this letter, Paul tells them to sit, then walk, and then stand. And those are the three points that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now again, I'm probably repeating some of what Kate has already said to you, but to understand today's passage, we need to look back at chapter one of Paul, and you will remember you've already done this. Paul absolutely exploding with enthusiasm and exuberance, telling them just how much God has lavished his love upon them, how he has poured out his blessing on them. How he has made them to see the immeasurable greatness of his power at work in them. And that they have been saved by the sheer grace of God. And not only that, but raised to newness of life with Jesus in his resurrection. Paul reminds them in chapter 1 that Jesus ascended back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That would have had huge significance to them, those listeners back then, more so perhaps than us today. They were so used to the priest in the temple, constantly on his feet, doing all that he had to do in the temple. He would certainly not have sat down like I did during the Bible reading. (laughs) He would not have sat down until all of his work was done, and then he would sit down. Jesus, our great high priest, sat down at the right hand of God because his work was done. All that was needed for our salvation, our redemption, our forgiveness, our newness of life, Jesus finished on the cross. That's why he cried out from the cross, it is finished. There is nothing that we can add to it. That work is finished, Paul tells the Ephesians, and Jesus has sat down. Then in chapter 2, he says, you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. You are there with him already. We can't do any more to earn or deserve it. It is the gift of God because of his grace. So understand the wonder and the depth and the joy of what God's grace has done for us and sit in it. As you've got the slide up already, we are seated in the heavenly places already with Jesus. Not only have we been forgiven, but we've been raised up to a new life, up to a new level. When God looks at us now, because it's the same for us as it was for the Ephesians, God sees us as perfect blameless, cleansed, justified, redeemed, already, already seated with Jesus in the heavenly places because Jesus has already done everything necessary for us to be in that place. So God sees us up there 
already, hence the balloon this morning. It's up there. And just to make that a bit more real, bear with me just a minute. This is where we are already, up there, up here, in those heavenly places, seated with Jesus already. This is our starting point. Realize where we are in truth, in Jesus, through what he has done for us on the cross and in his resurrection. The Ephesian Christians didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We can't deserve it or earn it. We know only too well our faults and our failings and our imperfections, and we don't see ourselves as seated up here with Jesus already. We are there because of the sheer, amazing, astounding, extravagant, outrageous grace of God. He gives to us his righteousness, his perfection, his purity as a free gift. Paul says to these Ephesians and to us, know the joy of realizing that this truth. Know that we are safe in his hands no matter what. No matter what life throws at us, we are still safe in him. And he will see us safely through until we actually reach that glorious place and that rich inheritance that he has stored for us. Know the peace beyond understanding that fills our souls when we truly grasp this fact. Now that doesn't mean that we're bouncing around up here full of enthusiasm and everything all the time. I think we might get a bit wearing for everybody around us if we were. There are times when we have off days. Well, I don't know if you do, but I certainly do. And especially when we're tired. And I can get very cross and very irritable when I'm overtired. And we do have off days. But that's the wonder of this gospel and this message that Paul was putting over to the Ephesians. Know that no matter what, you are already seated up here. And all we need to do is come to him, ask his forgiveness, ask his cleansing, and we're back seated up there again. And he is still with us. It also doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us. Bad things do happen to good people. Just look at what's happening around the world with persecuted Christians in places, dreadful persecution and slaughter for their faith. But they are still safe with Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who is there to carry them through to their heavenly home. Nothing can separate us or them from his love. So then Paul states very clearly at the beginning of his letter, this is where you are in Christ Jesus, seated. Now walk as if that's where you are. Before we come to this next slide, before we come to this next point, uh, just worth looking at Psalm 1 because the psalmist completely reverses the order. It's not sit, walk, stand. It's walk, stand, sit. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
walks the wrong way, away from Jesus and downwards. So, excuse me, I'm coming back down again now. Because we have to walk the walk back down here in this life. But the psalmist said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. Walking the wrong way eventually brings you to a standstill where you find yourself living a life of sin, falling short of God's calling, nor sits in the way of scoffers. That's when you give up trying and just sit and scoff at Christianity. Walk the wrong way, come to a standstill in sin and sit and scoff. Jesus reverses all of that for us. He flips the picture and he raises us up and seats us in glory first, then tells us to walk and then gives us the strength to stand. So walk, if we could have our second one up, walk as if that's where you are. As Paul says to the Romans, reckon yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Jesus. Forget about not being good enough. We will never be good enough. We are sat where we are because Jesus is good enough. Live and walk in the pure joy and the wonder and the freedom of God's outrageous grace. Everything that we do for God after becoming Christians is out of a loving response to what he has done for us first, not in order to win his grace. And that response is to walk the way of love and service and self-giving. So now coming to the beginning of today's reading, Paul is telling the Ephesians how they should be walking, knowing that that's where they're seated. But immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be mentioned among you as is fitting among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor silly talk. Well, of course there isn't any of these things. If we're walking up here in the light, these things don't even come into our minds. It doesn't come into our thinking once we know where we are in him. Immorality, sexual abuse and harassment, domestic abuse, child abuse, pornography. We know these things are wrong and it should not happen, should it? Two or three weeks ago when I started preparing this service and thinking about this theme, uh, Peter and I were sitting watching the 10 o'clock news on the television and that particular evening it seemed that almost Every item on the news was about some kind of abuse. And we were just sickened by it. You just don't know where you're going to hear it coming from next, do you? It was in children's homes, it's in football, it's in athletics, it's in Olympics, in the church. And in this last week, Oxfam and all the uh, furore that's been going on there and other charity workers as well. And we can be sickened by it. We were as we sat there watching the news that night. And then suddenly, for me, the picture just flipped. And I suddenly found that I was praising God 
that all this is being brought out into the light and exposed for what it is and for what's really going on in these places. I suddenly saw people in society, whether they realize it or not, are quoting scripture and quoting Paul here. These things should not be. This should not happen. This is wrong. Women are suddenly standing up and saying, we're not going to put up with this any longer. We are not sex objects. We are not eye candy. We are people. We are human beings. And we deserve respect. Grown-up children are coming forward and telling the things that have happened to them in childhood that should never have happened. And they are bringing it out into the light and starting a healing process. Now, I know it's not all women and children. Men are abused as well, and somehow it seems even worse when you hear of domestic abuse going on, and it's the man who's being abused by the woman. It it seems all the wrong way round. Women are not completely innocent. We haven't always got it right, and sometimes women can defeat their own cause by the way that they handle it. But in the vast majority of cases, it's women and children who are the victims of this abuse. But praise God, they're coming forward and they're bringing this stuff out of the darkness and into the light. As Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Just shows that nothing much has changed, does it? It sounds like it was just as bad back then. And now, these women and children are exposing these things to the light, and often unconsciously, they are quoting the teaching of Paul and of Jesus himself. Jesus, who forever raised the status of women and children. Jesus who took a child and set him in the midst of the disciples and said, this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become as a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Children in their innocence and their trust and their simplicity Woe to him who causes one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus sat and talked with a Samaritan woman at the well. Unthinkable in his day and his culture. He had women as some of his most ardent followers. He gave to Mary Magdalene, not only a woman, but a woman of very dubious report. He gave to her the astounding privilege of being the first person to see him alive after his resurrection. So Jesus, both then and now, raises the status of women and children and cries out against abuse in any form that this should not be. So for me, in preparing this service, the picture of all that we've been seeing on the news and in our society has been flipped from negative to positive. Hallelujah! Praise God that these things are being dragged into the light and society is taking it seriously that this should not be. 
just as Paul says here in this chapter. Walk as children of the light. Walk in the light and by the light. When we are walking in the light of Jesus, confident of where we are already by his grace and in his spirit, we can look at the person in front of us and say, this is a child of God of any age. This is a person made in the image of God. However marred and distorted and broken and buried that image is, this is a person for whom Christ died because he thought they were worth it. Then this is a person who deserves my respect. And if you respect them, you're not going to abuse them. Walking in the light of Jesus flips the picture from negative to positive. And just like in my family photo, we begin to see people for who they really are, seeing them through the eyes of God. You will no doubt have seen the high-profile case in America of Dr. Larry Nassar, the doctor who treated so many female athletes and used his position of trust to abuse them. He has now been sentenced to way beyond life in prison. The very first young lady who came forward and accused him was also the last person to stand up in court and talk to that doctor directly after his sentencing. An amazing speech that she made. This is part of what she said. I've just picked out this key point. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. End quote. That young woman was walking in the light and the integrity of Jesus and it enabled her to treat even her abuser with respect and forgiveness. She was walking at a whole new level up there. So sit and then walk and then stand. So our final slide, stand firm in Jesus. Sometimes your walk with Jesus will bring you to a standstill in the face of personal attack. And here we're taking a cheeky peek ahead to chapter 6 of Ephesians and the whole armour of God. Now I don't want to steal Kate's thunder because she will be doing this passage with you and I'm not going to talk about the armour at all. I'm just interested in this one word, stand. And Paul thinks that it's so important that he uses that word four times in four verses. If you're walking with Jesus, you can bet your little army boots that the devil will have a go at you. And the Bible tells us that at times he comes in like a flood. Everything all at once. I'm sure you've all had times like that. And it just stops you in your tracks. This isn't a time then for walking. It's a time to stand Firm in Jesus because you've been walking with him and facing the attack. If 
I can just look ahead to chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. And it goes on to talk about the armour. Stand, he says. Just a little thing to note, there's no armour for the back. You have to stand and face your attacker with all the armour in the front. Jesus has got your back. And you stand in him and face the attacker. Stand and resist the devil and he will flee. Stand in the confidence of who you are, what you are, where you are, and whose you are. You are a child of God, equipped by God, acquitted by God because of Jesus, and then you stand before your attacker and know that the battle is already won, no matter what. Stand firm. Know what our greatest test could be? Standing before God on that day of judgment. Do we dread it as our sins cry out against us? Do we live in fear because we're not good enough and never will be as the Ephesians were living? Do we spend our lives striving and fearing and trying to prove ourselves and earn our way to heaven and failing miserably? Or are we living in the joy and the freedom of our salvation and our position in the heavenly places already? Are we walking the walk up there at that level, ready to stand against the attack, every attack against us, knowing that the victory is already won? Because if we're doing that, then we know with certainty that we can stand before God with every confidence in Jesus, our advocate, who has paid the price for us, pleaded our cause before God, and has sat down already because his work for us is finished. Oh, with what joy we should be living. See yourself sitting with Jesus up there. Walk the walk as children of light in integrity and love and respect for all people. Stand before the devil and before God with confidence and with joy and nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs>